that video clip was done, uh, Gruen uh, Planet or Gruen Transfer uh, is an ABC show that uh, looks at media and advertising. And a year or so ago, they invited some people to do what they call the pitch. And in the pitch, they try and encourage people to think a little bit differently about things. And so that was done uh, as a response to some of our expenditure on the Olympics and uh, whether we could have uh, spent it a little bit more wisely. So hopefully uh, you've appreciated seeing that. And that kind of speaks into, in, in culture, our love of sport and competition. There are times where our competitive self-interest turns to a bit of a dark side, doesn't it? According to a 2014 article by a gentleman, a philosopher by the name of Roman um, Krizniak, he questions if Australians are losing our empathy. More and more people are caught up in a culture of hyper-individualism, where the question, what's in it for me, dominates their minds. And the big picture is clear. There is a growing empathy deficit that is creeping in new levels of social division. The former Paul Keating speechwriter Don Watson told Krizniak that uh, when they were talking about asylum seekers, that pol uh, politicians do everything that they can to keep any kind of empathy at bay. Finding language that dulls the instinct to ask, what if it was me and my children in one of those boats? or in one of those detention centres. In the US, studies show a long-term decline in empathy um, amongst college students over the last three decades, where it's declined almost 50% over that period of time. And likewise, in Australia, there is a creeping self-centred individualism that is becoming dominant in public culture. Confronting evidence um, of this was reported in the New York Times two months ago, where in Florida, five youths ranging in age from 14 to 18 not only watched a man drown in a small lake, they videoed it for two and a half minutes as the 31-year-old Jamel Dunn drowned. But not only did they watch, not only did they videotape it, but they are also heard in the video to be mocking the man. And according to the New York Times, about a minute into the video, the man appears to let out a whimper before submerging fully underwater. He just died, a voice can be heard saying, and the others begin to laugh. Later, one teenager appears to suggest that they should call the police, only to be rejected by another. And while sickening in every way, the rise of individualism, of self-interest aspirations, of social media tapping into and fueling our narcissistic self, and we becoming increasingly inoculated um, against extending care and concern for others. Research of Australian attitudes by Scanlon Foundation show a rise in the number of those who express strong intolerance of minority cultures. This is backed by the Foundation's finding 
of an increase in respondents' experiences of discrimination on the basis of skin colour, ethnicity or religion. Time, Time Incorporated, so Time Magazine, their assessment is that empathy, the ability to step imaginatively into the shoes of another person and understand their feelings and perspectives, seems to be in free fall. So what will put a break on the momentum society seems to be gathering in this area? Having more friends on Facebook isn't, isn't working, nor is being more linked in. It seems that the more we sit opposite the screams, the more numb we become to the feelings of others. So if modern technology fails to truly connect us with others, perhaps we need to delve into some ancient wisdom to help put the, the brakes on our narcissistic individualism that is on the rise. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to switch them on. Um, or, and I know it's a bit of an oxymoron when I've been talking about screen time, but uh, if you've got it on uh, your phone, great. Uh, if you've got a paper version, fantastic. But I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, 12, verse 12. And as we've journeyed through this Living Values series, we've been reminded um, many times that in Jesus' day, that the, the poor were believed to have had some responsibility um, for their own situation in life. That whilst society as a whole had a responsibility for caring for the poor, it was likely that they had this view that these people that were poor, that they were disadvantaged, that they were disabled in some way, that it was either because of their sin or their parents' sin that this has occurred. So to give support... Uh, to those that were in need, was not so much based around empathy or altruism, but often for the religious leaders. They often saw that giving to those in need was a form of self-promotion and an investment in which God owed them, that God would be obliged to bless them. Not dissimilar to some of the distortions in the prosperity movement. Jesus is likely to have drawn from the Old Testament instructions that he, as the Son of God, was involved in bringing to the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And while not unique, Jesus gives an uncommon interpretation to the living out of loving others which we read about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, that's great. The words are on the screen as well. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Consideration of the um, others in the religions of the world is not uncommon. Many world religions have a similar concept about the treatment of others. However, many of those are based in the negative form or non-acts or omissions 
from our day-to-day behaviour. Would you like it if someone came up and head-butted you? Well, don't do it to others. Those things that you would not like done to you, well, don't inflict them on others. Now, this is a very passive teaching based on non-action. A list of don'ts, not based around do's. Don't hit your sister. Don't steal money. Don't be mean. But Jesus' teaching was one of the first, if not the first, to flip this um, common thought on its head in a way that deliberately challenges us when it comes to self-interest and individualism. The first word in the New Living Translation of this verse is do. It's a word that is designed and destined to propel us into action. Don't just sit there, do something. Move from passivity to activity. Do something. Do to others. Now, elsewhere, when Jesus was coming under the gaze of a slippery lawyer and was being asked about the concept of others and and who constituted the others that we need to be mindful of, is it just family? Is it friends? Is it people of your own tribe or your own cultural group? And Jesus blows these limitations out of the water in Luke 10 when he was asked by a lawyer who the lawyer's neighbour might be. Jesus' response is basically anyone and everyone. Not only was there no limitations set on who the others are, but there are also no limitations on the, the type of positive, affirmative actions might be. Do to others, whoever the others might be, whatever. Now, not one of those annoying whatevers that you hear from the lips of teenagers. Would you like to come out with me today? Whatever. Is there something you'd like to watch tonight? Whatever. What would you like for lunch? Whatever. This is so much more. Jesus, what shall I do to help this person? Whatever. Whatever you can do. Whatever you would like to be done to you if the situation was reversed. What What should I do to show love to this person? Whatever, whatever you would like to be done to you if the situation was reversed. Now, just a quick caution on this verse. Jesus does not call us to live out this value or to have others to follow um, the living out of this value in such a way that it can be used as a tool to manipulate others in the process, to to give us what we want. Give me $500. Come on, you know that I'd want to do that for you if you needed the money. And so, you know, hey, give me the $500 after I've asked for it. This is not what Jesus meant when he said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. It's not meant to be used as a guilt lever to get what you want from others. Do to others whatever you. Imagine for a moment what it would be like if everyone in the world lived out this way. What a positive, revolutionary experience this would be. 
But the reality is that Jesus, um, in this passage, isn't calling for everyone to live this way. He's not even calling for others to live this way. Whether the others do it or not isn't the focus here. Right here, right now, Jesus is calling on you. Will you live like this? Will you choose to live differently? Will you actively respond to the opportunities that you come across to do to others, even others that you find hard to like, that might be of the opposing side on the political spectrum, that might have different religious values to you, might come from a different culture, might view the marriage vote differently, the opposing side of whatever the spectrum, Jesus is calling on you to actively do to others what you would like them to do to and for you. Now, I want to pause for a moment. And even for those that are listening on the podcast, uh, perhaps you might want to stop the podcast in just a moment and consider and meditate on what Jesus is calling on of us right now. To do to others whatever you would want them to do to you. Let's pause and think about that. On a later occasion in Jesus' ministry in Luke 10, which we referred to earlier, Jesus was asked by this lawyer, what was the most important action, the one that he could do which would be of eternal significance? And Jesus acknowledged the the lawyer's knowledge of loving God and loving others as you love yourself, as the most important commandments to live by, And that summed up the teaching of Moses. Similarly here, Jesus teaches us that to live out this value, this golden rule, as it's often referred to, to do to others whatever you would like them to do to you, that this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is the precious essence, the richness, the the ounce-for-ounce pure form of what the creator of the universe is on about. And the key to this is Holy Spirit-inspired empathy. To be prepared to stop and to consider things from another person's point of view is a radical challenge and an act of spiritual warfare. When Satan and all his, his legions would want to stop us in our tracks, to want to distort and twist and compromise everything that is in this world that is good. The first, the most simple and the most significant form of spiritual warfare would be to do to others as you would want them to do to you in the name of Jesus. What could be more of a radical departure from the downward spiral that we seem to find ourselves in but to have empathy for others? Not just family, not just friends, but others. And when it comes to us as a church, we have acknowledged that we we long to have more children, youth and young families to be a part of Northern community. But are we prepared to have empathy for them? 
We need to be prepared to actively do to and for them what we would like them to do to and for us if we were in their situation. We need to be willing to, to be preparing ourselves for them, to change for them, to welcome them, to accommodate them, to listen to them, to understand them and to help support and encourage them. My reading of what Jesus is saying here is that the responsibility for this rests with us. We are the you that Jesus is talking to. And if we are not willing, then let's not pretend that they will come. And even if they do come, they will soon discover that they are not welcome here and they won't stay. I know it won't be easy, but I do believe that as a church family, there is a growing willingness in us to respond to this call of action. Empathy. Placing yourself in the shoes, as it were, of others. Our perfect creator God did this. He didn't have to. He's all-knowing. But God still chose to do this when he came, the Son of God came and took on human flesh as the, <clears throat> as the person Jesus and modelled to us what it means to have empathy for others. God-given Holy Spirit-inspired empathy that prompts us, moves us, and helps us to discern the circumstances and the needs of others and empowers us to respond. According to the Guardian paper report, children as young as two years of age start to develop a sense of empathy. And neuroscientists tell us that 98% of people have the ability to express empathy. There are some people that their brains are just not wired, those 2% that are just not wired for empathy. But 98% of us are. But the reality is we live busy, stressful lives and we often feel we don't have time or energy to step into other people's shoes, to look around at the world from their perspective and to give some support. In other words, we fail to bring that neural circuitry in our brain to life. So our empathetic potential lies dormant. But we've been conducting a bit of experiment today, haven't we? Steve, can you hear me? Come on up. You can hear me well enough to come on up. (laughs) So we're going to use this other microphone as well. Um, And so you can come to this microphone. So for those that are listening on the podcast, Steve's been wearing headphones for most of the the service. So if you want to hold that for a moment. Um, So what was it like for you having, like, I I recognise that there's the heat and the warmth of the the earmuffs when you're wearing those, but what was it like for you to wear those earmuffs? You had to pay a lot more attention. So you had to look with your eyes, you had to be a, a, a lot more... Uh, receptive with your ears of what was going on. Yes. So were there bits that you were missing out of in the service and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, mainly the high, high sounds. The high sounds? Okay, righty Now, when you think about things from someone that has hearing um, loss and that sort of stuff, what, what has it meant for you to just have that brief experience 
of what it was like to have impaired hearing throughout the service. How has that helped you in that? It's very scary. It's very scary? Okay. Um, what sort of things could we do better when we think about um, things for someone that might be deaf or have hearing loss that you think, oh, I'm not sure what's going on here or what's, what's happening. Um, are there things that we could do that would be better, that would uh, show empathy or incorporate people with a hearing loss um, into our service? Okay, so someone that knows sign language, yep, okay. So I know a little bit of sign language, but not a lot, so only a little bit. Um, yeah, okay, so we could potentially do that if we wanted to reach out to those sorts of people. And there are churches that have people that do sign language, Auslan, um, in their services, and they have amazing people that are able to so quickly interpret whatever's going on and to be able to do that. So, but you need people to be able to um, uh, understand and know sign language as well. Yeah, okay. So has it helped you to appreciate, one, the blessing of hearing, but also the challenge for people that um, don't hear so well? Yeah, Yeah. okay, cool. Thanks for that. Let's give uh, Steve a round of applause. Really appreciate your help there. Before our response time, I'd like to leave a few practical suggestions of of an adaptation from um, Kasniak's um, writing in response to empathy and living out the golden rule and what that means for us. And for us to just take some time to think about, okay, well, how could, how could we actually live this out? If empathy can be strengthened, if it's like a muscle, and if we don't use it, it grows lazy and weak, but if we can strengthen empathy, then what sort of things can we do? And there's some suggestions on the, the screen there. First, we should pray. We should ask God to give us to strengthen our empathy muscle, that, that neurocircuitry in our brain, to ask God, hey God, you, know, you are the creator of me. You know me. Would you help me to grow in empathy? And when we do pray, we should also expect that God will provide us with opportunities to learn, to grow and to experience empathy. So we might find ourselves in a situation where we might come across someone that is a bit irritating, that might be a bit even obnoxious or might come from a different perspective or whatever it might be. And God's saying, hey, listen, here's your opportunity. You asked for this. You wanted to learn how to grow in empathy. Well, do it. Learn. Grow in empathy. Consider how we are the same as others rather than focusing on the differences. Jesus did this in a classic way, with the woman caught in adultery. So quick were others to be prepared to point out her sin. And Jesus said, well, actually, you're not that different. So much so that whoever has no sin, you go for it, you take a shot. But if you've got sin like this lady does, then you need to think about your actions. Consider how we are the same rather than just focusing on our differences. We're not that different to others. Spend time talking with new people. Um, Kresniak suggests that we should set a goal of having a conversation with a stranger at least once a week. And not just a, hi, did you watch the football? Uh, But getting to know them. Getting to know where they're from maybe their family, 
some of the, um, the things that they've experienced in life. Conversations have a converting, conversation, converting um, process in our lives and hopefully in theirs as well. Recently, I caught a tram down to um, have a meeting with someone and as I was waiting for the, the tram uh, to pick us up to, to head back, I, I just started chatting to a lady that I'd never met before. And she was telling me about some of her challenges in life, that she's um, now a single mum and does a lot of support caring for her daughters uh, and uh, their grandchildren and that they've married um, into a different cultures to hers. She's from a um, East European um, background and some of the challenges that she faces in that and some of the challenges that her daughters face in that. And that one of the things that she does to deal with these challenges is she drinks. She drinks to dull the pain. And as we talked, we talked about you know, some of those things in her life and we got on the train and she said to me, you know what, after talking to you, I don't think I need to go home and have a drink now. Okay, good. That's a good thing. Earlier this year, a human library event was held in, my, in Melbourne where a person could borrow, you could go and borrow a person for a period of 20 minutes or so and talk to them and listen to them and understand their life and where they've come from. And it was an challenging and enriching experience for all. Spend time talking with new people. Read or watch movies that will positively stretch you. Stretch you positively and stretch you in a positive way as well. Um, one that invites you into the world perspective of someone else as you do consider things from their worldview. Encourage a culture of empathy as well, in your home, in your work, in your schools, engaging people in conversations to learn about them, but also to challenge others when they jump to conclusions and make assumptions about people. Encourage people to think about someone else's situation in life. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, the New Living Translation reminds us that uh, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So how might we respond today? Hopefully you've got those response cards and on the screen you can see some, some things that you might want to reflect upon. Now you don't have to do all of them, you might just choose one, maybe even two. 
But perhaps today, as we respond to what God's been saying, you might want to ask God to help you to grow in empathy. So you might want to write down a response to God, a prayer response asking God to help you grow in empathy. What could we as a church family do to be more welcoming to young families, children and young people? You might want to reflect on that. Confess to God if there are people you struggle to have empathy towards. What action could you take this week to do to others whatever you would like others to do to you? There's going to be some music played and as we have that music played, I invite you to respond to the things that God's saying. And then um, we'll sing our final song. Those response cards, I'll come around and I'll collect those. If you'd like to hand those in, that'd be great. We pray for you um, on a Monday um, during our staff meeting and we'd love to pray for the way God's at work today. So if you want to grab those response cards, fantastic. There's pencils there and the music will be played. Let's respond to God.